Welcome back to The Amazing Case, the emergency medicine and critical care podcast. Each episode, we'll be interviewing clinicians to bring you real-life emergency medicine cases. The Amazing Case is hosted by EMD, Deakin University's ED Special Interest Group. We hope you enjoy it. Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of EMD's The Amazing Case. My name's Amy Hilder and I'm a first year medical student at Deakin University. I'm here today talking with Dr. Greer Wilson, who is an emergency medicine physician at the Geelong University Hospital. Hi Amy, thank you very much for having me. I'm uh, very excited to be involved in uh, the first ever episode of Amazing Case. Beautiful. So what we might do before we get into that amazing case is ask a little bit about your journey to becoming an EM doc at Geelong. Sure. So uh, I'm actually a Queenslander uh, who has uh, been imported to Victoria. I uh, did medical school at the University of Queensland and graduated in 2005. Uh, I did my intern and resident uh, years at the Royal Brisbane uh, and I came down Uh, to work at the Royal Melbourne in 2008, uh, intending to stay for a year, uh, which obviously uh, didn't quite work out how I planned. 11 years later, I'm still down here. Um, I did the majority of my uh, emergency training at the Royal Melbourne um, with some time spent uh, in Darwin and Alice Springs uh, and some time spent working at uh, the Tweed Heads Hospital and Byron Bay Hospital as well. So uh, quite, a, quite a lot of moving around. Uh, and I started as, at Geelong as a consultant in uh, 2016. Wow, that's really fascinating. And so have you got any plans moving forward of what's next? Yeah, so, um, you know, obviously, um, emergency medicine. Um, I have um, a special interest in um, critical care uh, and trauma um, and medical toxicology. So I'm about to start a Master's of Medical Toxicology through Cardiff University. Um, And I also have a special uh, interest in women's health um, and have spent some time working at the Royal Women's uh, in Melbourne as a consultant in their women's emergency department. Super exciting. So uh, fairly diverse. Done a lot. (laughs) Fabulous. Well, we might get talking about your amazing case. So I understand it's a case from when you were a registrar at the Royal Melbourne. It is. So this is a case from a few years back uh, when I was a registrar um, prior to doing my fellowship exams, but coming up towards those. Uh, And as all good cases seem to uh, go, this happened in the middle of the night at the end of a very, very busy shift. Um, The department uh, was extremely busy. Uh, this particular night, um, we'd had uh, 13 uh, Category 1 and 2 patients unloaded to us uh, in just under an hour. Um, so it was very chaotic uh, and there was no beds and uh, the place was a bit frantic and suddenly we heard the call over the PA system, Category 1 patient at triage. Which usually strikes fear into your heart at the best of times. And uh, I was the resus doc, so I uh, went out to the triage desk with one of the nurses and we saw the triage staff carrying in a very young looking woman who was uh, in very severe respiratory distress and was cyanosed and couldn't speak uh, and looked absolutely awful. (laughs) 
so we got her onto a stretcher and brought her up to one of the resource bays and um, she was tachycardic and hypotensive. Her sats were reading in the 50s and she was blue um, everywhere and was very, very, very distressed uh, and couldn't tell us anything and had basically collapsed on the footpath leading into the emergency waiting room after her, uh, it turned out her partner had dropped her off and gone to park the car. Uh, and we had no idea what was wrong with this woman other than she was in real trouble um, and, you know, and, and looked awful. Um, so we went to work putting some oxygen on and trying to get um, um, IV access established um, and trying to run through what could be wrong with her. We were wondering whether she was a severe asthma or a massive PE or a catastrophic pneumonia or whether there was something else entirely that we were missing. Um, and we got her into a, or got her clothes off and started having a bit of a look at her. Wow, sounds like a super. And yes, at this point we had moved an oncology patient out uh, with their inotropes to be run in one of the acute bays by the intern. So it was, it was, uh, it, happening. It, was a, it was a high stress environment. Anyway, so we started having a look at this woman and chest wasn't really moving very much um, and there was no bruising anywhere and her trachea was midline and I had a bit of a listen to her chest and I couldn't hear anything. I just couldn't hear any air moving anywhere. Um, and I said to her, have you got asthma? And she shook her head. And I said, have you, have you fallen? Have you, have, you, have you had trauma to your chest? And she shook her head um, and was sort of gasping. And her sats by this stage were about 75 with a non-rebreather on. So better than they were, but still not great. Mm. Uh, and I was getting pretty nervous at this stage. Uh, not quite really knowing what was wrong with her. Um, so I grabbed the ultrasound machine, um, which was in the recess bay, and tried to pop that on. Um, and couldn't really see any pleural sliding on the first side, um, but then couldn't really see any pleural sliding on the second side. And I thought, okay, that's weird. Has she got two pneumothoraxes, or am I just seeing this wrong? And I was kind of second-guessing myself a little bit. Um, and we were very lucky in the fact that we were at a tertiary hospital uh, and in a recess bay where there was an x-ray gantry fitted to the roof. Uh, and because the department was so busy, the radiographer was actually there and we could get a chest x-ray on this woman really, really quickly. Um, and the radiographer came in and did our x-ray and what she had was two massive pneumothoraces with tiny little nubbins of lung visible abutting the mediastinum and literally no other lung anywhere else which was why we couldn't hear anything because she actually wasn't moving any air wow um and i had never seen anything like that before um but realized this was a fairly critical situation and we needed to decompress her chest and get her lungs re-expanded. Could I ask just quickly what a pneumothorax is? Yeah, so a pneumothorax is a collection of air in the pleural cavity. Um, you can have a spontaneous pneumothorax where it occurs uh, by itself um, for a variety of reasons. Um, it can be lung disease or asthma um, or um, rapid sort of changes in intrathoracic pressure, uh, 
for um, particularly in people who smoke bongs uh, <laughs> or people who you can get them secondary to trauma to the chest um, where there's injury to the to the visceral pleura and air collects around the lung um, and this woman was was denying we couldn't get much history from her but she was denying any of the things that I would normally have um, um, looked for in someone with two pneumothoraxes because I had never seen somebody who had had bilateral spontaneous pneumothoraces of this well bilateral spontaneous pneumothoraces at all yes but <laughs> certainly not of this magnitude wow and so what did you guys do next uh, so we made a decision we had to urgently decompress her chest um, whilst we were setting up for um, chest drains uh, we actually ended up doing bilateral needle decompressions of her chest so what that is is putting a 14 gauge cannula into the chest wall anteriorly in the midclavicular line um, with the aim of getting into the pleural cavity and releasing some of that air um, and interestingly both both uh, sides with her gave a sort of hiss um, indicating that they were under tension. So the air had built up to such a uh, degree that it was placing pressure on her mediastinal structures and, and heart. Um, often when you see this on one side, um, everything will be pushed over because of the pressure effects. But because she had it bilaterally, all of the mediastinal structures and trachea had been midline. Um, that was pretty serious. Uh, yeah, she was. She was. She was unwell. Um, she was a very slim, young uh, Asian lady. She was only twenty-eight, and she weighed probably about forty-five kilos. Um, so we decided that needle decompression would be likely to be successful in her in a patient who's much bigger. Um, with a thick chest wall, uh, it's not really uh, the preferred option because it has such a high chance of the needle not being long enough to get through the, the chest wall tissues and actually into the pleural space. And if that had been the case, we might have uh, approached that differently and done something called a finger thoracostomy. Uh, where um, it's sort of like the first part of the procedure to put in a chest tube. So making a cut in the chest wall um, in the fourth intercostal space, in anterior axillary line, where you would normally put your chest tube. But instead of putting the tube in, going in with your finger and getting into the pleural cavity and just making a hole to release air. Wow. So, so we didn't do that, that to this woman. <laughs> Luckily, she was small enough. She was small enough. Um, so once we had got... Uh, the cannulae in both sides of her chest and released some of the air she actually started to look a lot better um, her sats again came up a bit more into the high 80s her blood pressure came up a bit her pulse came down she looked a lot more comfortable um, and everybody in the room visibly relaxed um, a little bit uh, as we um, put two very quick chest tubes in <laughs> Um, so we ended up putting um, medium-sized chest tubes in um, with a Seldinger technique, which is a needle, then a wire, then a dilator, then the tube. Um, and uh, chest tubes come in a whole variety of sizes, ranging from um, fairly tiny little pigtails right up to big garden hose-sized things that you might use in a, in a big trauma. And we kind of went... Um, well, I, I decided to go sort of middle of the road, thinking we're just draining air from this woman um, and this should be adequate. Um, and we were able to get those in. I put one in and my uh, co-registrar basically put the other in almost simultaneously once the first was in and secure. 
um, and lots of air came out and the tubes swung and bubbled and the patient looked better again. That's uh, a very good outcome. It was a very good outcome. We were very relieved. Uh, and then we had to start thinking about why this had happened to her. Look, we had no idea. Um, we were we were wondering whether she had uh, been involved in a trauma of some sort um, and been dropped off outside the hospital, as occurs, unfortunately, sometimes. Um, we didn't know whether she had an underlying lung condition that might have predisposed her to this, so um, some sort of... Um, um, you know, uh, bullous lung disease that might have uh, might have predisposed her. By the time the chest tubes were in, her husband had managed to make it in from the car, and she was looking much better and was able to sort of give us a little bit more history. Um, and she was a fairly well young lady. She didn't smoke. Um, she didn't smoke marijuana or uh, bongs of any sort. She hadn't had any trauma. She didn't have any history of asthma um, or any other respiratory conditions. She'd been well. The only history she could give us was that um, she had endometriosis. Okay. Um, which... Not what you were expecting? Not what, not what we were expecting. Um, and uh, we had a little think about that. And uh, as happens when you're studying for your fellowship and you start learning all about these weird and wonderful conditions that you'll probably never see, uh, a little light bulb kind of went off in the back of my mind and I thought, hang on, I'm sure there's an association between endometriosis and pneumothorax. I'm sure you can get plural deposits. Um, so as all good doctors do, I went away and double-checked up to date and yes I, I you know my brain had not failed me for once uh, and there there was in fact an association um, so we referred her to the respiratory and cardiothoracics team um, and made the comment you know she has endometriosis could this be plural endometriosis uh, because she was she was um, about to have the first day of her menstrual period uh, or was due, due for the first day of her menstrual period um, that day or the following day. Um, and when I followed her up uh, a few days later after I'd come back to work, uh, in fact, that's what it turned out to be. So she'd had pleural endometrial deposits uh, and had had catamenial pneumothoraces. It's fascinating. Which, uh, not a case you see all the time? No, I can't say I've ever seen one before and I'm fairly certain I'll probably never see another one. <laughs> And did the patient go home okay after she that? Did. So the patient did really well. Um, so the patient did end up uh, having a pleurodesis um, and made an excellent recovery and was discharged from the hospital uh, extremely well uh, about a week later um, and did very well. That's fantastic. Yeah, so I think it was a really great outcome for her. Um, Quite an amazing case. Uh, yeah, look, it's certainly one that's stuck in my memory, you know, years later. Um, and certainly, you know, the, the x-ray has stuck in my memory years later. Um, so I think it's one of, the, one of the more interesting ones I've had the privilege to be involved in. Yes, well, thank you so much for sharing. Um, before we finish up, was there any key sort of learning points that you really took away from this case? Yeah, so um, obviously, I mean, I think um, as a junior doctor, um, the ones that I would take away is knowing the emergency management of, of a serious pneumothorax. Um, and it was something that, you know, I'd been over 
many many times in my head uh and you know and had had done a few times as well but just knowing the landmarks um and knowing the possible techniques i could use to uh to help this patient the other learning point i think was more uh something that's stuck with me as a senior doctor um, i handed this patient over to my uh, incoming morning team and the first thing the consultant said to me was oh, you should have used a bigger chest tube, uh, which, which was kind of soul-destroying, actually. You've done a great job uh, keeping this woman alive. You know, you've, you've saved her. It was, oh, you've, done, you've, you've put the wrong size chest tube in. I would have used a bigger one. And as a senior doctor, that's something I've really taken away, um, trying to remember just how tough it is uh, on night shifts for my registrars and trying not to give them too much of a hard time in the morning because I know that they've done their best. Um, yeah, no worries. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your amazing case. My pleasure. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you.